Well, today we are in part three of this series where we're taking a look and studying through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And the reason why this series is so important, the reason why I'm excited about this series is that when we look at the first 11 chapters of the Bible, what we see with intricate detail is what God the Creator's design was for life and for us. We see how he created the world, how he created the, the things in the world, and how all of this, it was supposed to work together according to the design that God had for the universe. And you see, when you go back to the beginning, here's what happens. In a culture and a world, and believe me, this isn't the first culture or the first season of world history, but in a culture and a world where so many people are confused and led astray by some of the most basic things that God designed the world about, going back to the beginning and seeing what God's design was is absolutely helpful to direct us and to guide us with some things that people seem to be, and maybe even us sometimes, so confused and misguided by. So before we get into today's message, I wanted to just give you a little bit of a quick summary of where we have been. So in week one, we worked through the first chapter, almost all of the first chapter of Genesis. And what we found as we looked through that first chapter is on the screen, that every detail of the universe was deliberate, that God had a reason and a method for creating the world the way he did through those first six days of creation. And then what we learned in that first week as kind of a little bit of application was this, that all of it was designed to serve us that God has entrusted the world for us to take care of, that we as his people are to steward the things that are in the world. But just think about this, that all of it was created to be a blessing to the pinnacle of his creation, which was you and me and humanity. That's why God created it, for our benefit and for our pleasure. And then in week two, we talked a lot about identity, which, by the way, that whole idea of who you are is one of the, the most important themes we talk about here at North Cross because it makes such a difference. If, if I were to ask you who you are, <laughs> it's probably not because I don't know your name, but the answer that I'd be looking for, the answer I want you to think about when someone asks you about your identity, you've heard us talk about this before, that I'm simply a child of God. That is the most important identity that we can have. And so last week, Pastor Matt reminded us of this. He reminded us to remember that you are not just human. That sometimes there's even a, a slang term in the English language when, when we mess up or when we are led astray. Well, I'm only human. What we learn in the end of chapter one is that being human is being created in the image of God and that, number two, you have a creator who has given you divine worth. You are not an accident. 
you are not just the product of biology to parents. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you at times feel like your value is low because you're comparing what you have or who you are or what gifts you have compared to other people, we got to get out of that rat race and just look at the cross and recognize that your value was established when Jesus gave up his life for you. So this week, what we're going to see as life continues, we're going to still be in those first six days of creation, but we're going to find is that God uncovers something in Adam that he wasn't quite sure was there, but he was shown that it was there. And then God decided to do something about it. It was this this longing, this longing for real relationship and companionship. It's a longing that so many thousand years later that every single person in this room and listening online still has a longing for relationship. So I thought it might be good for us to, for a moment, just talk about the opposite of being in relationship and you could call that loneliness. Here's why this message today is so important. According to a survey that was done just a a year ago, and I'm sure it's even worse now, that we as a people in the United States are more lonely as a people than we have ever been since surveys have been taken in the United States. And the interesting thing, if, if you really think about this, is it's kind of ironic because while we are the most lonely that we've ever been as a nation... It's at the very same time where we tend to be the most connected as we've ever been through technology. But as you think a little bit about why as a society we're so lonely as a people, maybe it's actually in part connected to the technology thing that's connected us. Here's what I mean. One of, the, one of the biggest factors in our society's loneliness is that amount of time that we spend behind screens and not in relationship with people. And some of that is good. Screens are not bad all in themselves. There is a blessing to be able to connect with my family across the country through screens. At work, we have to at times be behind a screen. But it has begun to consume our lives, hasn't it? Where, have you ever been at a restaurant and you look across and there's a family and they're all at the same booth or the same table? All of them on individual screens, not talking with each other. Have you ever been at a restaurant and that family was you? (laughs) It happens, doesn't it? And again, not all of this is bad, but I do think it's something we need to be careful of. Because we have begun as a society to forget what real relationship looks like. Because on screens, we can kind of hide. On screens, we can just give the the highlight reel of our lives. And yet, what our hearts long for 
is real relationship, is, is people to, to know us and to be known. And yet we're not setting ourselves up for that, are we? It, it's kind of like you wanting to eat a chocolate pie, but you go to the store and buy pumpkin. And you put pumpkin in the pie and you bake pumpkin into the pie and then you eat the pie and it's not chocolate and you wonder why. It's because you put pumpkin in there. We long for relationship, but in some ways as a society, we have forgotten what that looks like or we don't prioritize it like we should. And then there is that whole quarantine and pandemic that obviously worked its way into things too to lead us even further astray from what relationship looks like. And loneliness, well, it has an effect. According to another survey, here are some of the things that happens with loneliness. It increases a person's risk of premature death from all causes. To, to put this in different terms, that loneliness is actually, you've heard this term over the last couple of years, a pre-existing condition, so to speak, that actually amplifies other things that people are going through and causes those other things to be worse. Um, also, according to this survey, loneliness caused a 50% increased risk of dementia in the elderly, a 29% increased risk of heart disease, and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Or the, how about this? That loneliness is connected to higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. And you could go online and find a whole lot of more information and, and other surveys to, to look at. God summarizes it all this way in Genesis chapter two. It's not good for the man or for the woman. It's not good for a human being to be alone. So studies show it. You've felt it. God says it. Sounds like a good feeling, doesn't it? Number one feeling for today. It's not good to be alone. You felt it. Surveys show it. God says it. We've all been there for some of us in bigger ways than others, but there's been times where we've all felt alone. And I suppose that some moms in the thick of it see this fill-in and they're like, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, if I had one wish, it'd be to be alone. Can't even go to the bathroom without kids around, right? And I think this is a, a good opportunity to just point out the comparison or the, the contrast. So all of us would be good to have a little bit of solitude or quiet in our lives. And if you can, in the season you're in, every single day, moms, I know you can't do that usually, but to have a little bit of solitude is good. Even Jesus needed time regularly. His habit was to go off by himself with God and to have some quiet time. That's a good thing. Loneliness isn't just quiet. Loneliness is when there is a desire to be known, a desire for a relationship. 
that's beyond just the weather and sports. And yet it's not there. So here's the question that I think we want to answer today and that God gives us some direction to. What do you do when you feel like you're alone? What do you do when you feel like you're alone? So we're going to turn to Genesis 2 for some answers to that. And if you were reading through Genesis with us on your own, because we can't get to every single verse in the messages, you'll notice that Genesis chapter 2 starts out this way in verse 4. Moses writes, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created and when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, or the earth and the heavens. And for those of you who might be reading through Genesis for the first time, or or maybe it's not your first time, you might wonder, well, I... (laughs) I thought we just read about this in Genesis chapter 1. It almost sounds as if it's a repeat. Here's the unique difference. In Genesis chapter 1, God gave just a general overview of creation. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he didn't necessarily repeat himself, but he put a larger focus, a magnifying glass on the pinnacle of his creation, and he focused in on Adam and Eve. Now, for Adam, he had, he had some good things going for him in Genesis chapter 2. The first thing we see about Adam is this, that he did understand his identity. Look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. It says, the, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. You just wonder what that first breath of Adam was like as God did this miracle and created him from the dust. But make no mistake, from his very first breath, Adam knew whose he was. Adam knew that God was his creator and that God was with him. Another thing that Adam knew, we see in Genesis 2, is this, that Adam had purpose, I'm going to give you a little bit of bad news, that there is work even in perfect places like the Garden of Eden prior to sin and even heaven most likely. That work is not the result of sin, although some of us feel like that. But if you've ever gone for an extended period of time without having work, you know how that begins to feel, right? It's not just the stress of money, but you feel like you don't have purpose. Listen to what God told Adam in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So here's what I want you to understand. Here's why I'm going through these verses. It's because Adam had some good things going for him. He knew whose he was. He had a purpose in his life. He had work. And yet even then, even then, he still had a longing. You may know who God is. You may have a purpose in your life. But you still might have a longing. A longing for relationship or in some cases, a longing for a deeper relationship. Because even then, 
Moses writes this of what God said. It is not good for the man to be alone. So, here's what he does. The Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man, to Adam, to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. And if you're wondering, okay, why did God have Adam name all the animals? Could God not come up with fun words like aardvark and platypus? You know, was, was Adam better equipped to do this? It had, had nothing to do with whether, of course, Adam could do it better than God. But like in all things, God had a plan. And God wanted to teach Adam something. And sometimes experiential learning tends to stick the best. And as Adam was naming all the animals, as God brought all the animals in front of him, he noticed that they all had someone like him, or like them, I should say. But there was no one like him. Here's how God said it. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, I had to press pause here. Because I think sometimes when people come across this word and then know that what God is talking about here is the creation of Eve or the creation of woman, that we get maybe the the wrong impression that in some way that a woman is inferior to, to a man or that she was created to be, you know, the servant and the cook, <laughs> the helper. Well, that's where digging into the original helps because the original word here is azer in the Hebrew. And if you do a word search on that Hebrew word, Guess who in the Old Testament is most often given the title Azer? Not women, but God. Azer does not at all refer to significance or importance. What Azer is, is a word that has a a great amount of strength to it and is meant to be a compliment or a help or a benefit to what is already there. And that's exactly what God called Eve or what God created Eve to be, to be a perfect complement to Adam, to be a blessing to Adam. Now, as we're going to talk a little bit more about marriage in just a moment, I also just want to point out to the men in the room and listening online that while that is true, it is a very real thing that from the very beginning, God has called men to be the humble servant leaders of the home. That there is a unique responsibility, guys, that God has given to us, not to be perfect because we can't, but to be intentional with leading our families and our marriages in the way of the Lord. To do it with humility, 
to do it with love, to serve as we do that. But as Paul writes, a husband's role is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And in response and in return, a wife has an amazing opportunity in a Christian home and a Christian marriage to use the unique gifts that she has to support her husband and the family as they both walk in the way of God and closer to Jesus. So no suitable helper was found, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. Now, it's kind of fun to, to read through certain commentaries and, and online because so many theologians and, and Bible readers like to speculate as to why the rib? Why did God use a rib to create Eve out of? And, you know, it sounds kind of lovely and cute that he picked a rib because a rib is close to a man's heart and your wife is supposed to be close to your heart. And if that helps you remember that God used a rib, I think that's, that's just fine. But that's not told us in scripture. We don't know why he chose the rib, but here's what we do know. The view of each of them was shaped by how they were created. You see, for, for Adam to love Eve was to love himself. Because when he saw Eve, he saw someone who was created from him. And when Eve saw Adam, she loved him like she would love himself because as she saw Adam, she saw someone from whom she had been created. And there was this very special, intimate bond between Adam and Eve right there from the very beginning from creation. So God creates Eve and then it says he brought her to the man. I've noticed something as a man. I don't cry very often, although I do cry more than I used to. And I think it has to do with my, me getting older. It's just something that happens, I think. But one of the times in, in my younger years when I did not sob cry, but had tears in my eyes at the least, maybe one lonely tear on its own, was on my wedding day when my wife was walking down the aisle accompanied by her dad. And having been a part of dozens of weddings as a pastor since then, I have noticed this. I'm not the only one. That most husbands get a little emotional when they see their bride walking down the aisle. I say that to help you understand what's going on here. It wasn't the, the father of the bride, but it kind of was as God brought Eve to the man. And what does Adam do? I don't know if he was crying, but he gets emotional. 
as we see the first song or bit of poetry recorded in world history as Adam sings, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And then verse 24. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Marriage, for those of you who might be new to the church or to the Bible, is not originally some sort of cultural institution. Marriage was something created by God And he is the one who then, from the very beginning, has defined it as a relationship between one man and one woman that is supposed to last for a lifetime in a perfect world. That's the goal that we have with marriage. And so Adam had identity. He had purpose. He also had a longing for relationship. And so what does God do? on this sixth day of creation. He creates a wife. He gives him a companion. And number two, fill-in. Marriage was created as one way to bring companionship to people's lives. There is no earthly relationship. I've I've been married now for over a couple decades, so I have a little bit of history that I can speak somewhat knowledgeably, not as knowledgeably as some of you, but uh, because you've lived it longer. But I would say is marriage is one of the greatest things in my life. It's also one of the hardest things in our lives. And one of the things I think which is so important for every married person or every person who would like to be married to know and to understand is is this, that marriage is a good thing, but it was never intended to be the main thing. And what I mean by that is this, even as God saw Adam in his loneliness and created for him a companion to do life with, a companion that would be called his wife, she still in that moment was not his number one. God was the number one. And the spouse was the number two. And that order is so important to remember when it comes to a successful and happy marriage. Because here's what happens. So easily a husband or a wife looks to find things from their spouse that ultimately, well, ultimately comes from God first. And whenever we look for our significance, our identity, our purpose, our happy, from another human being first and foremost, it is a recipe for failure or at least frustration because that person was not intended to be the primary source of those things. It's like, what would happen if I took this microphone because I had, you know, a nail to hammer? What would happen if I used this microphone for that? Well, first of all, Danny would be upset at me. (laughs) 
I'd work on a couple nails probably, maybe. But eventually it would break down because this is not what it was intended for to nail things. A lot of times marriages break down and become frustrated because we are looking to a person to bring something that only God can bring. And when we look to God first, to find identity, to find significance, to find our happy, when we look to him first, when he's our number one, then we are in the perfect place to be able to be healthy in our perspective in marriage. And frankly, for those of us in this room who aren't married and are waiting to find not just a mate, but significance, identity, and purpose, and we tell ourselves we can't find it, we're not whole, we're not complete until we find that person. (laughs) I'm not trying to underplay the importance of marriage. I understand. But at the same time, there's most likely a little bit of tweaking to your heart and mind that needs to happen as well. See, here's, here's the proper place of God. I, I like to think of in marriage, um, you've got this triangle going on. You've got God, it says a husband and a wife. And you know what happens when, when God is the focus, when he is the source of what we truly need, when he is the goal and when both husband and wife, and by the way, this is why it's so important. And for some of you, You've already made your decision and things like that because you're already married. But for those of you who aren't, this is why it's so important. You'll always hear me say, most important thing to look for in a spouse is not looks, is not money, is faith and relationship with God. Because when husband and wife both have the same goal and, and both are lending themselves to a relationship with God, they also, as you can see, are coming closer to each other. Marriage was what God blessed Adam with as he felt all alone, a person to do life with. And like I said before, there are probably some people here in this room who are married but still feel at times alone, maybe it has something to do with this. There's those of us in this room who, because of of being a widow or divorced or young or haven't found the right person, are feeling alone. We started with the question, what do we do when you feel all alone? Well, do you know who entered our world so that we would never truly need to be alone? Jesus did. And the night before he died, here's what Jesus said. I no longer call you, he had his followers in front of him, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. The creator, because Jesus was, is part of the Trinity, the creator of the universe, the perfect son of God, calls you his friend. And then he proved it the next day by dying on the cross for people who sometimes 
get mixed up about priorities and where identity comes from. For people who have sin in our lives, he died for us to prove what a friend looks like. Someone who's willing to give it all for his friends. And then he made this promise. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. For those of you who feel lonely, I want you to hear me. I am not downplaying the difficulty with loneliness. Even when you have God in your life, you can still feel this. But if you do, here's one thing that will help. Make Jesus your greatest friend. Remind yourself daily that you're not truly alone. Spend time with him like you would a friend. Every single day, talk with him and he will talk to you through the word. Make Jesus your greatest friend. And then here's the other thing. And this goes for all of us. But sometimes when we're feeling lonely, we just kind of give up. We just kind of wait. Wait for people to come to us. Maybe God is calling you to not just wait and to sit on your hands, but for you to find community in others. So our last fill-in, what do you do when you're feeling all alone? Maybe what God is calling you to is to be someone else's community. Maybe there's someone else in your life. I'm not talking about romantic relationships here. I'm talking just about friendships. Maybe there's someone else in your life who is lonely, who seems to be by themselves, who also seems to be longing for a relationship that is deeper than just sports and the weather. What would happen if you engaged them? If you're feeling lonely, be someone else's community. Because the cool thing is, when Jesus died, not only did he give us community for eternity, but he said, you are my body. And then in Hebrews, the writer writes, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encourage each other and all the more as you see judgment day approaching. Here's a simple thing. If you're feeling lonely, I know an awesome thing you could do. And you've heard us talk about it and we'll always talk about it. Join a small group. Get into community with other people who know Jesus, who talk about things that are deeper than the weather and who are there to encourage you and to, to know you. There is a lot of different circumstances that are in this room and are listening online. And this is going to be something that we need to continue to navigate if we're feeling lonely. But God knows it too. And for Adam, he created a companion. And for you and me, he's given us people that we need to engage and ultimately a very best friend in Jesus. Next week, we're going to go into chapter three and find that this perfect creation that God saw was very good we kind of messed it up, but God's reaction, well, you won't want to miss it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, 
We are people who first and foremost are blessed to have you in our lives. And because of that, we are never alone. And Lord, in those lonely moments that we can can face, I pray that we would be deliberate in recognizing you are our best friend. But at the very same time, Lord, human relationship is something that you've also given us a longing for. And I pray for every person in this room that whether it's in their, their marriages or for the unmarried, for being other Christian friends, that, that you would bring the right people in our lives, that you would give us the courage to, to get out from behind screens and to, to engage people in relationship because you've blessed us at the very least with the church family filled with people who would love to be a blessing. So Lord, to that end, I pray that you be with us. In Jesus' name.